0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the JAR. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, today, after the celebration, we're going to have something that we call First Steps with Chris, which is basically a chance for me to get to meet you if you're new or you've been checking us out for a little while. So I would love to meet you guys. Uh, lunch is provided, and so is child care. And it happens where the JAR Cafe is. They transform that to First Steps with Chris. It'll take about an hour, and if you uh, go through there, uh, through the hallway, the first door on your right uh, would love to uh, meet you there. So uh, if you're uh, new or you've been checking us out, uh, please come and be a part of that. Uh, Also, just wanted to let you guys know that the escapades thing, invite your kids. Like if you have kids, uh, they can come. Don't just invite other kids and don't bring your kids, but uh, invite as many as you want. When I was uh, 12 years old, I was baptized and I knew that I wanted to grow in my Christian faith. And I also realized that the way to do that was to actually read this book. And so I got a Bible. Nobody really told me what kind of Bible to get. But I got a Bible, and I started reading, and I thought you started at the beginning of a book, and then you go all the way to the end. So I started in Genesis, and I got to chapter 5, and when I got to chapter 5, this is what I read. And Adam lived 135 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called him Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and he begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And after I got to about the dozen begat I stopped. And I took this book, and I said, I don't understand this, and I shut it, and for the next decade of my life, until I was 22, I never seriously read the book again. And I had a bout with doubt. I started having some doubts about whether or not this particular book is readable, and Is it reliable? Is it authoritative? Fast forward four more years. I'm 16 years old. I go to a church service. I'm a PK, a preacher's kid. And so I walk into this church service. My dad's doing it. There are about 15 or 20 people. It's on a Sunday night. I'm the only teenager. I walk in and I have a baseball hat on. I sit down. My dad doesn't seem to mind that I have a baseball hat on. Nobody in the church seems to mind. Except one lady, Betty Ritterskamp. (laughs) And Betty comes up to me with her finger like this and says, You need to take your hat off. In a very kind, loving way. (laughs) Now, most respectful integritous young teenagers would just take their hat off and let it go. Not me. I looked at her and I said, why? And she went to this and said, because you are in the house of the Lord. And when you're in the house of the Lord, you should not wear a baseball hat. Now, again, at this point, any respectful, responsible, kind, fearful teenager would take their hat off and go do something else. And especially when you're a preacher's kid, because as a preacher's kid, even if you don't agree with the fact that she has an issue with a hat, you at least have to think, well, that little lady probably gives money to the church and that money pays my dad And my dad buys me Doritos. And so if I want more Doritos, I better, you know, actually take my hat off. Again, most would do that. I looked at her and I said, no, I'm not taking the hat off and you can't make me. And in this little chapel with only 20 people, Betty Ritter Scamp ripped me a new one. And everybody heard it everywhere. And then she walked out. And I had a bout with doubt. I had a bout with doubt. And my bout with doubt was this. Are churches really that accepting? Why would a church ever be accepting when they treat people like that? And could the church ever be a transformational place? Where people's lives get totally changed? If that's the way someone acts? Fast forward two more years. The college that I attended in January, you could either stay on campus or they had different trips. Stay in North Manchester, Indiana. Or go somewhere else. What would you choose, you know? Go. So I go. And I took a class on African history. And we went to Africa, to West Africa. And while I'm in West Africa, on a particular Friday, all of a sudden I start noticing that all the businesses start closing. Everyone who was of the Muslim faith left their place of work. They went to this mosque. And from the outside, I could see thousands of people on their knees, kneeling down to Allah, and they're praying to him. And all of a sudden, I had this thought in my head, another bout with doubt. And it was this, how can Christianity be the only way? These people are so much more faithful in prayer than what I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. They had closed the entire city, folks, for a Friday so that they would pray to their God. And I'd never seen anything like this before. And all of a sudden, in my head, I started having another doubt. How can Jesus be the only way? My bout with doubt has continued with many areas of my life. There's been a time in which I've doubted the resurrection, the virgin birth, life after death. I've doubted whether or not God could heal people, whether or not God could love people, whether or not God could actually change people, whether God could restore relationships of marriages that have been destroyed. And throughout my life, there are many times in which I've doubted, and I think to myself, why is it that I struggle so much with doubt? Why am I constantly having a bout with doubt? But I have a feeling I'm the only one that deals with this, right? Like, like no one else, no one else struggles with this. Just me. Have you ever had a bout with doubt? Maybe some of you have doubted that God exists. Maybe you've doubted that the universe was created by God. Maybe you've doubted that the reliability and the authority of Scripture really isn't there. Maybe you doubt that justice will ever prevail because of some of the things that have happened in your own life. Maybe you doubt that God is love because you see suffering all over, all around. You yourself are experiencing it. And how can there be a God who is full of love? Maybe you doubt that God could actually be your friend. Maybe you doubt that God could forgive you. Maybe you doubt that God could heal you. Maybe you doubt that God could love you unconditionally. Well, the good news is is that we are not the first people to ever struggle with doubt. In fact, the Bible is filled with tons of doubters. Abraham, Sarah. Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, all of Jesus' family thought he was nuts. And all the disciples in his waning hours, they all ran away. They walked away. Folks, there are a lot of doubters in the Bible. And this is what I want you to know, is that God never gives up on doubters. In fact, God is like this. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. It's okay for you to even question me. It's okay for you to have some uncertainty in your life. But whatever you know to be true and whatever you're called to be faithful with, be faithful with that. Now, I was taught something very differently growing up. I was taught that faith doesn't start with doubt. Faith starts when you give everything to God. And I was actually often taught to suppress your doubts, put down your doubts, ignore your doubts, don't talk about your doubts, just fake it. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to talk about maybe the greatest doubter, or at least the most popular doubter in the Bible... And many of you know who he is. His name was doubting whom? His name was Thomas. And I'm going to tell you right now that I think Thomas actually got a bad rap. I do. He should not be known just for his doubting. Instead, I'm going to show you that he should absolutely be known as a person... A biblical faith. Now let me give you a little bit of background so that you understand this guy. During Jesus' life, it was very typical for rabbis or teachers of the law to walk around the countryside, to walk into cities, and to find people who would follow them. A rabbi was simply a teacher of God's Word, and they would walk around to find people that would follow their teachings. And most of the time, what they did, would do is they would try to find the elite, the highly educated, the most likely to succeed. I looked in my uh, yearbook under most likely to succeed, and I found this picture. You know who that is? A stud. That's who that is. Actually, I wasn't. You can take that down. Uh We don't want children to have nightmares, you know. I wasn't most likely to succeed, so I can kind of understand Thomas. Thomas, though, was not most likely to succeed, but that's who the rabbis went after. And they would choose people, and then eventually these rabbis, these teachers of the law, they would say, well, I'm going to teach you what to do so that when I'm gone, you can do what I do. Now, it was the dream of every single young Jewish boy to be chosen, to be appointed by one of these rabbis to follow them. But Thomas didn't qualify. He was not the most likely to succeed in his class. In fact, I don't think Thomas ever went to class. Some of you know what that's like, don't you? He was uneducated. He was not a likely candidate to follow any rabbi, any teacher. He was a fisherman. Not really known for anything more than fishing day after day after day. But then, one day, a particular rabbi walked along and saw Thomas. And Thomas had heard about this guy. He was a guy who was healing people and teaching people and doing something dramatic. And he was not overlooking anyone. He was actually choosing people that no other rabbi would choose. And this rabbi, his name was Jesus. And he walks up to Thomas and he says, I choose you. Will you follow me? Now, this was the biggest moment ever up until that point in Thomas's life. His dream finally came true. There was like one of these big wig rabbis who noticed him and who actually called him to join him to be a part of his team. And Thomas did the unthinkable. The family business was in fishing. And he said, I'm out of here. And he walked away from the family business and he went to follow this world-changing rabbi who no longer would he be taught just to learn how to fish for fish, but he would learn how to fish for people. And Thomas, like all the other disciples, he left everything. And for three years, he followed Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He understood Jesus' clear message. And he believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That Jesus was the Son of God. That he was the Messiah that they had predicted 700 years ago. He sees the fulfillment of it in Jesus himself. Thomas didn't doubt, at least not at first. But then Jesus is crucified on a cross in between two common criminals. And all of a sudden, the one who he thought was the Messiah, the one that was going to change everything, was dying on a cross, and then he died. And if you read very carefully in Scripture, after Jesus died, all the disciples gathered together in this upper room. All of them did except for Thomas. For seven days, Thomas was AWOL. He was MIA. He was missing in action. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew what was going on with Thomas. And I believe the reason that he was gone is that he was completely devastated. Because he had given his whole life, these last three years of his life, he had left the family business, he had given everything, and he really believed that this was the Messiah. He believed it to the core. But then, but then all of a sudden now, he's not just a Messiah, he's a dead Messiah. Messiah. and Thomas's world fell apart and then unfortunately Thomas uttered some words and then he became branded on that day for the rest of his life as doubting Thomas just a doubter but today i'm going to let Thomas free I'm going to let him go. And help you to see that if you're a person who's struggling with doubts right now in your life, you have some questions, you're not so sure, that if you're at that point, you can become still a person of great faith more so than you could ever imagine. You see, folks, the journey to faith often starts with doubts. And that's your first fill-in. And if you want, you can go on our app and just type it in. But the journey of faith, folks, it often starts with doubts. So Jesus has been crucified... And there is a little murmuring that's saying that he's been resurrected. But Thomas has been away from all this, so he has no clue whatsoever. And he's devastated because he thought he was the Messiah, but now he's just a dead Messiah. And when he died, Thomas bolted. He took off. Nowhere to be found. Later on, Thomas decides to reconnect with his friends that he had spent his days, nights, weekends all the time with over the last three years. And he meets his friends and he's assuming that they're going to be as depressed and discouraged and devastated as he is. And he walks up to them. And in chapter 20 of John, in verse 25, the disciples, though, are not depressed when Thomas first meets them. He walks in and they See, Thomas, and this is what they say. We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, I find Thomas' response refreshing. Refreshing. Because it's honest. He hadn't seen. It was hard for him to believe anything. In most churches that I've ever been around, sincere doubting is frowned upon. Don't doubt. Just believe. But Thomas, he didn't care. He put it all out on the line. This is what he says. He's like, hey guys, thank you so much for telling me this. And, and I'm glad you've said this, but I'm not sure. I want to know for myself. God needs to prove this to me. Now, instead of shaming Thomas and putting him down for his doubts, the truth is I think we should actually congratulate Thomas for having the foresight to actually understand the significance of this event. Thomas knows that if Jesus had risen, that it was going to change all of eternity. Because there was no religious leader who ever walked planet Earth who actually said that they were the Son of God and then rose from the dead after being In the grave for three days. And so Thomas refuses to take anyone else's word for it. But Thomas wants to experience it for himself. You know, for much of my childhood, what I did was, I I simply took the faith of everyone else that was around me. Whatever my parents believed, I believed. Whatever the Sunday school teacher said, that's what I took, hook, line, and sinker. Whatever the church and the church leadership did, that's what I followed. Now, that's fine when you're in your childhood, folks. But when you become an adult, all of a sudden then you realize that those things don't fit anymore. And I had to have my own faith. I had my my own belief. I had to own it myself. I had to come to my own faith journey. You know, this is what I really respect about Thomas, is that he didn't turn to a second-hand account. He wanted a first-hand experience. And that's what most of us want. We want the first-hand experience. I mean, it's almost as if you could see his passion... Almost like he's thinking out loud. If Jesus is alive, then this changes everything. Life won't be about what we see. It'll be about what we don't see. The kingdom of God is here. And he called himself the light of the world. And if he's back, then he truly is who he said he was. And we can no longer live in darkness, but we can be light as well. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus can have my whole life. But I must know it for myself, not just listening to my friends. One time I was driving, and the car in front of me, I noticed they had a bumper sticker. And I looked at the bumper sticker, and this is what it said. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, I'm sincerely happy for people who have a faith like that. I am. But my faith has just never been that simple. Can anyone relate to that? Yeah. Maybe some of you are like me and you go through life and you go through life and you have doubts. Some hesitation, some uncertainty. Folks, God is bigger than our doubts. And he's fine for you to ask questions. Maybe for some of you, you have a question like this. Why should I believe the Bible? I think that's a great question. I think it's an honest question. And you can take that to God. Is Jesus really the only way? That's a fair question. And then maybe the granddaddy of all theological questions. Why did God create guinea pigs? I've got two guinea pigs, so I know. And you know what? I don't like them. They stink. They smell. They're rats. But I have two girls that think guinea pigs are wonderful. So, Folks, today, if you have some doubts, God doesn't look down from heaven and go, oh, you got some doubts. He's like, okay. I'm glad you're being honest. You know the phrase I hate more than any other? Fake it till you make it just dumb. You can't fake anything. That's why in treatment programs, I hate it when people say, oh, just fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. Trust God in the moment, and he'll help you to make it. You trust God in the moment, and he'll help you to make it. Now, often, the second part of the journey, first of all, you have doubts. Doubts is the beginning of our journey of faith. The second thing is discoveries. God will often give us a discovery. He gives us a season of discoveries. That's kind of your second fill in there. For me, I went through a huge bout with doubt right after I graduated from college. My college life, as I've shared with many of you before, was very rebellious. It was a cesspool of sin. But my senior year, I met my wife, Jennifer, and she helped get me back into a relationship with God. And I understood, and I owned it for myself. And I started reading the Bible. I started praying, and my life had really turned around. I was living a godly life. And I just felt very strongly that I was being called to be a U.S. history teacher. And so I applied for a whole bunch of schools uh, in the Midwest. I had different interviews, but uh, didn't have seconds. But then I went to Carmel Junior High School. It's in Indianapolis, or as they say down there, Carmel, you know. A lot of affluence there. And I had this first interview, and it went really, really well. I was like, man, that was great. And they asked, actually asked me to come back for a second interview. It went even better. The principal looked at me and said, you know what? You just did an amazing job. We will be calling you tonight. And so that night I went home. I was living with my parents and I went in and I remember praying, God, if you are really the one true, uh, one true God, give me this job. I will give my whole life to you, God, if you'll give me this job, and I will impact the lives of these kids. And no sooner did I say that. Then all of a sudden, the phone came off the wall. It fell down. It hit the ground. It started rolling towards my chair. It opened up, and it said, the principal from Carmel is here. I just wanted to see if you are awake, okay? <laughs> Some of you were like, dude, if he said that, man, what do you want, you know? I'm just messing with you. Actually, the principal didn't even call that night. He didn't call until the next night. And I'm freaked out and I'm doubting. I'm scared and everything. And this is what he said on the other side. Hey, Chris, you are the best candidate and we would like to hire you. But our department is full of male teachers and we need to have a female. And so we're going with a different candidate. And I was devastated. I was crushed. And I remember walking from Anderson to Lapel, which is seven miles, on that road by myself, yelling, cursing, crying out to God, going, why would you allow this to happen? And I had a bout with doubt, really thinking, is this God that blesses and loves and cares and provides for our needs? Is he real? Back to Thomas. Look at how Jesus responded to Thomas. Verse 26 and 27. This is amazing to me. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said... What did Jesus say? Let's say it out loud. What did he say? Peace be with you. Now, in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, this phrase, peace be with you, is not like, Hey, man, peace be with you. Peace, dude. Yo, boy, peace. It wasn't like just a flippant, hey, whatever. But this phrase, peace be with you, is the most gracious, kind generous greeting that you could ever give to anyone. What this statement literally means is all peace in all ways at all times be given to you. Now, notice when Jesus first approaches Thomas, he doesn't go off on him. He doesn't rip on him. He's like, hey, where were you last time I showed up? You know this whole little thing where I come into rooms and nobody sees? It's not that easy. Maybe you could be in attendance. He doesn't rip on him. He doesn't go off. He doesn't do anything. But he greets him, folks, with the most generous, kind, loving, grace-filled response that any person could give another during that time. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And let's read these last four words together. What's it say? Stop "Stop doubting and believe. He says, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Now, what I want you to notice is that Jesus did exactly what Thomas needed to believe. He didn't do any more than what he needed. He didn't do any less than what he needed. And I believe that whatever your doubts are, whatever your questions are, whatever your concerns are, wherever you're out, if you will honestly go to God with your doubts, He will give you exactly what you need to believe. Give me this job. I want to be a history teacher. Is what I ask for. And God didn't do that. Fast forward eight years. I'm at this uh, conference in Ashland, Ohio. It's a conference for church planners, people that are interested in starting churches. I walked into that place and I was scared to death. I had so many doubts, but I felt some prompting in my spirit that this is what God wanted me to do, but I was not sure whatsoever. At the end of the conference, each of the leaders would sit down with each of the participants in their offices, very intelligent men, and would sit down and would talk about your assessments and whether or not they felt like you should start a church. And... This professor sits down with me. We sit across the table. There's some small talk, and then he looks at me, and he goes, Do you have any doubts about this at all? Are, are you afraid or scared at all? And I lie. I said, oh no, I have no doubts at all. I have given my one and only life to God. I believe He's going to do everything. And when I got the word everything out, folks, I, I'm telling you the truth. I fell off my chair. <laughs> telling you the truth. I fell off my chair. I started crying uncontrollably. I started shaking with my body. There were words and groans that only the Spirit knows. And I'm down there. And I want you to know that if some of you are like, what's this Chris like? If you know me well, you know that I'm not into one of those do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I don't go on the Internet and TV and see those wacky spiritual people having some kind of... ever. But I'm telling you the truth. If I'm living, if I'm lying about this, I'm dying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I sat on that chair and the presence of God came upon me in such a powerful way that I was knocked over onto the ground and I began to cry and to weep and my body was out of control. There was this amazing power of God that moved in me in that moment. And I fell down as a person who was fearful, who had doubts, who had questions, who wasn't sure about this God, wasn't sure about this concept of starting a church, all of that kind of stuff. But I stood up as a new person. I stood up as a brand new person who was no longer filled with hate, but was filled with love. No longer was filled with fear, but was filled with faith. No longer was filled with helplessness, but now had amazing hope in God. I believed fully in this one true God. I believed tangibly something that I couldn't even understand. But by faith, I gave myself completely over to him and he changed my life in that moment and I was never the same again folks what's what's so special to me about this is that God didn't give me what I thought I wanted and needed the most, a history teaching job. What he gave me was the call of my life, of watching dozens and dozens of people come to Christ, hundreds and hundreds of people impacted by the message and the love of Christ. And so many people who have come in and out of these doors and some who have stayed and some who have moved on to other places, but their life was changed because God gave me the power in one moment to say, you don't have to doubt, you can believe. Doubts start there. It's a great place to start. God isn't afraid of our doubts. He wants us to be honest with where we're at. Then move into discovery. Seek Him through Scriptures, through prayer. If you don't have a reading plan, go to the resource table. Get a reading plan today. It's the one that I used when I first started. Read through the Scripture. And Scripture says if you seek Him, you will find Him. And when you find Him, then it will turn to the third step of faith, which is belief. You actually believe. Watch what Thomas said after he... Touch Jesus. These are some of the most dangerous words in all of Scripture. In verse 28, Thomas said to Jesus, and let's read these words out loud together, out loud together in one voice. My Lord and my God. Again, my Lord and my God. Now, why are these words so dangerous? Well, for a Jew at that time... For you to make this statement of any other person was blasphemous and you could be put to death immediately. For Thomas to say what he said, it meant that if there were any witnesses that were around who heard him use these words, this blasphemous statement, he could immediately be executed because he basically was saying, you're God. You are the walking presence of God. My Lord and my God. Now, why did Thomas not care to make this statement that was considered blasphemous? Why? Because at that point, he had what he needed. He had seen the hands. He believed that Jesus not only had risen from the dead, but he was alive. He was the risen Christ and doubting Thomas turned into believing Thomas. And do you know what most scholars say? That in the time frame from 52 AD to 72 AD, Thomas led the greatest evangelistic effort in the country of India. In fact, I've been to India before, and if you go there, there are still relics of St. Thomas all around, because when he went into the country, he turned it upside down for the cause of Christ. Doubting Thomas lived out a faithful life in India, telling the entire country that Jesus is risen. He's no longer dead. He is alive and well. And you know, it's commonly accepted that at the end of his life, A non-believer came up to him and asked him these words, or said this statement. Thomas, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will live. Embrace your faith in Christ, and we will kill you on the spot. And it's commonly accepted that Thomas looked up to heaven, and he said these words. Never Will I deny the one who died for me? And they took Thomas. And they took him to a tree. Put his hands around the tree like this and then took a stake and put it straight through his heart. And he was killed on the spot, as they said. Doubting Thomas? You think someone's a doubter that would do that? Doubting Thomas? I I think not. This was the guy who, after seeing Jesus, gave up his one and only life to reach out to him, to live for him full on. This was a fellow doubter. That's why I relate to him so well. Because I think, well, if he doubted and... Look what he did. Maybe for me it would be the same. And maybe for you, if you had doubts, but if you chose to turn to him, he might help you on your journey of faith through doubts, through discoveries, to actually a belief in the one true God. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is the Shawshank Redemption. It's a, a story about a banker by the name of Andy Dufresne. And he is convicted for two life prison sentences for the death of his wife and her lover. And the kicker of it all was he didn't do it. But he's in jail and he's played by Timothy Robbins and he meets a friend in a guy named Red, played by Morgan Freeman. And the two of them create this relationship, but the whole time he spends two decades in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And it's all a journey about all of his doubts and yet the faith and hope of what redemption might look like. And at the end of the movie, Red and Andy are in a prison yard And they begin to have a conversation about the day that they might get out. And I'd like you to look at the side screens as we look at this scene. I don't think I can make it on the outside, Andy. I've been in here most of my life. I'm an institutional man now. It's like Brooks was. Wow, you really underestimate yourself. I don't think so. In here, I'm the guy who can get things for you, sure, but outside, all you need is the yellow pages. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Get busy dying. You know, that's one of my favorite movie lines ever. Get busy living or get busy dying. And you have a choice in your life today. What's it going to be? Doubts and all. Are you going to get busy living or will you say, I'll let the doubts take me? into being busy dying. And so here's your take-home question. First, there's a statement. Thomas's faith was committed enough to die for Jesus. We just read about his story. We, I told you his story. He was committed enough to die for Jesus. Here's a question for you. Is your faith committed enough to live for Jesus? You see, Jesus is not asking you to die for him. He's actually asking you, would you live for him? Folks, the road to faith starts with doubts. Thomas, the greatest doubter, said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I will not believe. And then doubts lead to discoveries. And Jesus knowing Thomas's doubts said to him reach out your hand and touch my side stop doubting and believe and then he found truth in belief when Thomas turned to him and said my lord and my god today maybe some of you have been drifting for a while and you honestly could not say, my Lord, my God. Or maybe for some of you today, might be the first time that you would say, I'm ready to say, my Lord and my God. So I'm going to give you a moment just with God right now. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to have our prayer team to come up if they'd like prayer for anything after the celebration. Feel free to come up. But I'd like to just give you a moment, regardless of where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, just to kind of close your eyes and open yourself up to God's Spirit. And maybe you're standing there right now and you have your eyes closed, but if you were real honest, you would be... Saying, Chris, I have a lot of doubts. I have a lot of questions. I have some fears. I have many concerns. And maybe you would say, Chris, would you pray for me? I've got some unanswered questions, some things I don't fully understand. And they're really affecting my relationship with God. Would you just pray for me? And I'd be honored to do so because I have all the faith in the world that God can meet you wherever your doubts are and help you to believe what you need. But maybe at the deep part of your heart, you're saying, I've got some questions, I've got some concerns, I've got some doubts, I've got some fears. And if that's you right now, would you just raise your hand? If you've got some doubts, you've got some fears, you've got some questions in your life, no one needs to see it, just you and God. But if you do, you could just raise your hand. God, I pray right now for each person in this place and especially for those who have raised a hand. God, I pray that you would come to them. And as they humbly and honestly seek you, I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself to your children. Give them your presence, God. Surround them with your love. And by faith, I ask that you would do what each individual needs so that they might be brought to a point of brokenness and full of faith and trust in you. God, help us not to live in doubt, even though we may visit it but to live for you and believe in you. Now, maybe today some of you, you're at the point where you're ready to say for the first time in your life, my Lord and my God. You're ready. This is the moment. God's moved in your life, worked in your life today, and and you're ready to say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be Lord of my life. And if that's you... I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer after me. And I'm going to invite everyone to pray this prayer. And just kind of repeat this prayer after me. Loving God, I am sorry I have sinned against you. Forgive me for my sins. Make me new. I believe you died for me and you rose again. So I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit. So I could follow you. For the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.